Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. Partly cloudy skies. Welcome to this Wednesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, Agnes Scott College will begin the fall academic semester remotely. But students want to come back to campus, and, and you can see why. Even though we were telling them there would be masks, there would be social distancing, there would be different kinds of dining options and so forth. They wanted to come back to campus, and this is a disappointment to them. That conversation with the Vice President for Academic Affairs and Dean of the college in just a few moments. But first, the body of the late civil rights champion and Georgia Congressman John Lewis is set to lie in state at the Georgia Capitol right here in Atlanta today. Congressman Lewis died July 17th at the age of 80 due to pancreatic cancer. Thousands waited outside of the U.S. Capitol to pay their respects yesterday. Mask and social distancing measures were in force. Now, back in his home district, Congressman Lewis is the first black member of Congress to lie in state, according to Governor Kemp's office. His funeral will be at Ebenezer Baptist Church Thursday morning. Now, on to this. The State Department of Public Health reports there are 175,052 confirmed COVID-19 cases, and there are reportedly 3,563 deaths, 17,544 are hospitalized, and of those, 3,236 are ICU admissions. This is always according to the Georgia Department of Public Health. And finally, Morehouse and Spelman College will each receive a hefty financial gift from novelist Mackenzie Scott, no relation. Overall, more than 100 nonprofit institutions were awarded money. Now, according to HBCU Buzz, Mackenzie Scott was a pupil of the Howard University alum and award-winning author, the late Toni Morrison. Scott has donated close to $1.7 billion in the past year as part of the Giving Pledge, a campaign encouraging the world's wealthiest people to donate their earnings to charity. This is Closer Look. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. The letter begins, quote, It is with a profound sense of sadness and disappointment that I write to inform you that we have made the painful decision to move to fully online courses for the fall semester, close quote. It's the opening line addressing Agnes Scott students and the small independent National Liberal Arts College for Women is joining many other institutions in making the decision to begin the academic year remotely, meaning no in-class instruction for now. Joining me now with more details, Vice President for Academic Affairs and a Dean of the college, Christine Cousins. Dean, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Let's begin here because you wrote it was difficult and it was a disappointment to make, but what factors went into this final decision so we had been working very hard to try to bring students to campus. Um, as many schools have, we've been investigating um, CDC recommended safety protocols. We had um, purchased lots of disinfecting wipes and mm -hmm. plexiglass barriers and uh, cameras for um, uh, having courses that would could be both in-person and remote and so forth. And we were, uh, we, we all want in-person instruction is what we're all about. We wanted to return to that. Um, but in the last, I would say in the last three weeks, the numbers in Georgia and surrounding states have been terrible and they're not getting better. Hmm. And we soon uh, began to realize that it wouldn't be safe um, no matter what we could do. We, we, we thought for a while about a reduced capacity plan, which some of the other schools are do doing. And in the end, um, we didn't think that that would go far enough. And so 
we decided uh, with the support of the board, um, in spite of the financial loss, that we would be all remote. Mm -hmm. we, we will have a few students on campus, students with high needs for housing, mm -hmm. um, international students, um, some economically vulnerable students, but all courses will be remote. You mentioned Georgia's continuing increase in terms of confirmed COVID-19 cases. You also cited the percentage of young adults contracting yes. this virus was a main factor as well. It is. And we think that among young people, there's been a sort of belief that um, they might be um, invulnerable in this regard. And the recent data has shown that that's not so. And so um, that was kind of the final um, piece of evidence that just said, we, we can't do it this way. We have to close. Dean, let's go over the college's plan for the fall. Now, classes begin August 20th. That's not that far away. Right. Y'all have enough time to shift the majority or all these classes to an online format? So fortunately, our previous plan, which had been in place for a while, was to open with both remote and uh, what we call dual mode courses. Mm -hmm. So the remote courses, that's obvious. The instruction would be entirely online. The dual mode courses would have um, instructors in a classroom with some students, uh, but with cameras and Zoom links and so forth, so that students elsewhere or students who are perhaps um, not able to join for various reasons could be a part of those classes. And we had about, uh, going into this, we had about 53, 54% of our courses were going to be dual mode and the rest remote. So it really wasn't difficult for those dual mode people to simply shift over. I, I'm not saying it won't take some work, but they're already in that mindset because they've been preparing for that. What can you all do to help those students who might have some connectivity issues and also may even need a laptop or a computer? Are you all able to help them? Yes, yeah, so uh, beginning last uh, March, when we first went to all remote instruction, um, we had an emergency, we have an emergency fund for students. We have some additional money from other sources that we put together with that. And our um, information technology office took requests from students uh, to help them get what they need. And it's uh, a few of them, some of them needed computers, we were able to ship some computers, some uh, some uh, tablets to them. Mm -hmm. A big issue for them was connectivity. Yeah, um, They didn't have Wi-Fi in the area where they were or it was weak. So um, fortunately, some um, some of the of the bigger companies had um, bargain plans for students during the crisis. And we were able to help students connect to those. Uh, we also um, have the ability to provide students with hotspots and also to uh, maybe um, subsidize or help them with their phone plan so that they can use that for connectivity. So we expect to do that again this fall. Let's talk about now resources for the faculty as they prepare for the semester. You all are sort of ramping up their learning in terms of how to use remote technology for instruction here. We've had a wonderful series of workshops put together by our instructional planning task force who did a great job in anticipating both our pedagogical needs for this new world and our technological needs. So they put together a series of workshops and some of the topic, we had a, a great one with uh, called What Students Want Faculty to Know. And this was interviewing some of our students about their experience in the spring. And, and what worked and what didn't, basically. And that was extremely helpful. Um, we had another one called Inclusive Remote Pedagogies, Leveling Inequities in the Classroom, and another one on teaching and learning in a time of trauma, as well as some that were more focused on the various uh, platforms that we use and how to uh, mm -hmm. maximize our use of those. Um, we, we, we still have some of ones on the te technology side ongoing, and we'll continue this kind of support throughout the semester via our Center for Teaching and Learning. A little bit later in the program, I have a conversation coming up with Georgia State University, Dr. Mark Becker. Obviously, they have over 50,000 students overall enrollment. Over at Agnes Scott College, y'all don't have that many, but you get some feedback from people saying, hey, you know, you have a little bit over, what, 1,000 students? So was there really no way to try to even bring back some of them, maybe even like first-year students? Among 
students, we've had points made of that kind mm -hmm. among parents yeah. and alumni. Frankly, it's been mostly thank you. You did wow. the right thing. Um, students want to come back. We had we had some of the best retention numbers we've ever had as of Monday. Monday, the announcement out went out. We'll see where we go with that. But students want to come back to campus, and, and you can see why. Mm -hmm. you know, they're tired of being at home. They want to be with their friends. Even though we were telling them there would be masks, there would be social distancing, there would be different kinds of dining options and so forth, they wanted to come back to campus. And this is a disappointment to them. If you're just joining, I'm joined by Agnes Scott, Vice President for Academic Affairs and Dean of the College, Christine Cousins. And we're talking about the institution starting the fall semester with online classes. Dean, will any faculty and staff be allowed on a campus if they want to instruct from their office or? Yes, okay. yes. So we're collecting information about this right now, but um, if faculty want to come in and use a classroom to do their um, uh, courses, we can make that happen. Um, a, a few staff uh, are on campus and have been because of the nature of the work they do. Some of our facilities people have had to be there, of course, with safety protocols in place. Um, uh, a few other people with uh, necessary jobs on the physical campus. Um, we have had, uh, we've been working remotely since the spring and much of our work uh, is, is easy to do that because most of us sit in front of a computer a lot of the time anyway. Of course, we really miss the social aspect of it, but we're trying to find ways to develop that in and around the work that we have to do. So. Dean, as you know, this year's undergraduate tuition and fees, on the average, is a little over 57000 Will that cost be reduced at all for the students? Because they're not so, getting the total yeah. Agnes Scott experience. We are not reducing tuition. We're going with the board-approved small, uh, on a national average, it's small increase uh, that was approved last winter. Um our, our reason is that uh, we're, we stand to lose, of course, quite a bit of money in room and board uh, between 3.5 and 4 million. And for a budget uh, for the, a college our size, that's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. We have to find a way to make that up. And so um, we are, um, we also believe that uh, we want to deliver not mass produced in the can online courses, but courses that still have the mark of an Agnes Scott experience with lots of faculty-student interaction, um, lots of variety, lots of student initiative in the courses, and all the support services surrounding that. We have a robust tutoring program that is for students of all ability levels. It's not a remedial program. It's because everybody learns better in collaboration with others. Mm -hmm. um, we have a wellness center a counseling program, um, social programs, um, lots of things that we feel uh, go with this package, including a really enhanced uh, career services program uh, focusing on professional success. That is a, a new, it's not a new initiative, mm -hmm. but it's a revamped and um, I think very exciting initiative. And we want that to be available to students this year too. We have to pay the people who deliver all of these things. So you're all looking at a financial loss for one academic school year, about three to four million dollars. Is that correct? Am That's just right? for the fall semester. That's just for the fall. Without students, faculty and staff on campus, does this mean furloughs or even layoffs for other college employees? Um, final decisions have not been made, but that's certainly um, a strong possibility. Um, we are looking at lots of different uh, means of saving money. We were able to partially, not, not close, but draw back our, our buildings and save quite a bit on energy. And mm -hmm. we, we expect to continue that. Um, we have some other things that um, we, we can put in play. We, we'd already cut back quite a bit mm -hmm. and faculty and staff already have um, had a, a cut to their compensation via um, retirement benefits. We have not cut salaries yet but we did cut compensation in the terms of um, freezing retirement benefits at the college contribution at zero for the, for the fiscal year. So we, we, we're trying not to go any further than that on salaries. Um, but you know, it is, a, it is a loss for us. We're, we're financially sound. 
we have a, a strong endowment, but you obviously don't want to use the endowment if you don't have to. So we're mm -hmm. trying to be as prudent as we can with regard to how we handle this loss. Agnes Scott received a little over half a million dollars in emergency aid through the CARES Act. How was that used? Was that primarily towards students' resources? Most of that went directly to students um, on the basis of need. As you probably know, we're a little over 40% Pell eligible, mm -hmm. and we have um, a number of other students with identified need, and they needed that money for themselves, and they needed it for their families. So most of it went to that. We used some of it to um, support enhancements to the technology that we're using so that we could improve our delivery and, and make it more secure and sound. Um, we used some of it for um, various other purposes relevant to um, supporting a curriculum and a, and a social program and academic experience that would be um, a powerful one and a meaningful one for the students. But um, that was uh, the, the majority of it. The first half went directly to students. Mm. You know, Dean, if there's one fact regarding this pandemic, we all know it's we have no idea when or how Georgia, let alone the nation, comes out of this. What factors will you all determine how the second half of the school year will start in 2021? I think we'd have to see um, steady declines in the numbers all around. Um, I think we'd have to see... Um, uh, support statewide for masks, uh, physical distancing, and other measures. Um, and um, it's important that that be the case in the surrounding states too, because that's where a lot of our students mm -hmm. come from. Um, so um, <laughs> we're not seeing that now, as you know, and we'd have to see it not only, um, not only just see it, but see it sustained. And, and be assured that the numbers were not only going down, but we're staying down. And we'll be keeping a close eye on all of that. And finally, Dean, as we wrap up, you are a scholar of literature and creative writing. If you were writing the story of this pandemic, what would be the theme? What a great question. I told you it was coming. <laughs> but you didn't tell me what. Exactly. Um, I think the amazing creativity, resilience, and willingness to pitch in of our students and of our faculty and our staff. Um, this this college has pulled together in a way that is just, well, it's, as, as I said in my letter, we are Agnes Scott, that's what we do. But to see it under these conditions is really extraordinary and has meant so much to me in being a part of some of the very difficult decisions that we've had to make. Um, I know that the students, the faculty, the staff, the families, the parents, the alums, the trustees, we're all working together for the best possible experience for our students. And um, that has meant everything to me and to the college. Agnes Scott, Vice President for Academic Affairs and Dean of the College, Christine Cousins. Thank you for coming on the program so soon after the announcement was made. Thank you, I really appreciate it. So glad to talk to you, Rose, thank you. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. About this time last year, Georgia State University was about to set a record for overall enrollment in the fall semester, 53,000 students. What a difference a year makes, because now Georgia State, like all the other public universities and colleges within the university system of Georgia, well, they're preparing to welcome back students amid a pandemic. Now, it's also been a year of protests that have led to calls for acknowledgement of racism, injustice, and calls for racial equity in pretty much every facet of our lives. Recently, more than 200 black faculty at Georgia State University all signed in agreement a letter to the university president, Dr. Mark Becker. 
The coalition is seeking changes or the implementation of new practices and policies. At the core of all of this, race and diversity, and especially within the faculty. I spoke with professors Dr. Elizabeth West and Dr. Jacques Corey Cormier. There has been and there still is a reason to address the lack of representation among the faculty for a university that proudly boasts how they serve a diverse student body. Diversity means having a community, and that is a community of faculty, staff, and students that is representative of national and global kind of demographics that our students will engage when they graduate. Well, joining me now to address the concerns from the collective of Black faculty members and also the president, Georgia State University President Dr. Mark Becker. President Becker, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Rose, it's always a pleasure to be with you, and thank you for having me back on your show. You know, it was about early February when you and I had a conversation um, down at, at Georgia State, and we talked about the racial makeup of the university's faculty. And here's part of that conversation. Another measure, you look at your faculty. I know that the diversity of the faculty is something students actually talked about they wanted to see an improvement on. Here's some numbers. You know these numbers. 15.5% of more than your 2,800 faculty, that 15.5% are black. 64.7 white, Mm -hmm. 10.6 Asian. Mm -hmm. So how do you begin to work on those numbers? So uh, Provost Wendy Hensel actually working with a commission that spent almost two years looking at the issues, looking at models at other universities, is in fact leading a set of new practices and modeling best practices here at Georgia State. You know, so looking at those numbers, there's two different ways to look at them, but there's only one answer. And so the two different ways are those numbers are below the representation of the student body but well above the national averages for a large research university like Georgia State. So it's not as if we're underperforming relative to what you see in other higher education. You're just on par with the trend? We're, we're, we're actually better in many areas, but that's still not good enough, and that's the key. Yeah. You know, the key is, is you can't just say, well, we're better than average, therefore we're satisfied. The key is that we need to be a part of the solution for the nation, not just for Georgia State. So it's twofold, is there's a set of initiatives at the provost office around recruiting and hiring faculty so that we um, are much more um, proactive in promoting a, a more diverse faculty, a more representative faculty. So, President Becker, this is not new to you in terms of this part of the faculty's concerns, which is the racial makeup of the faculty, of the entire faculty. Absolutely not. Now, as, um, as I said then in February, and, um, you know, we're now uh, not, well, we're over half a year, or about a half a year past that, you know, two and a half years ago, we formed a commission on the next generation of faculty, mm-hmm. uh, both looking at our um, recruitment pr- practices so that we could be much more proactive in, in creating a diverse faculty. Um, and at the same time, uh, Georgia State needs to be part of the solution, uh, not only for Georgia State, but for the nation. You know, we know, as you and I have discussed, I believe, back in February, uh, we graduate more African-American students than any other uh, not-for-profit institution in the country, We're one of the most diverse student bodies. Uh, so one of the initiatives that we stood up several years ago, and just, you know, it's, it takes time for these things because change takes time, as, as we all well know, uh, but is CASA, our Center for the Advancement of Student and Alumni, to identify in our student body the people that can be the next generation of professors uh, for Georgia State and for the whole country. Uh, you know, since February, as I've mentioned there, the work of the provost office, uh, we've in, uh, implemented the recommendations of the commission. In fact, Professor West, who was on your um, show and who, whose voice we heard just a few minutes ago, was a member of that commission, mm-hmm. uh, transitioned that work to a steering committee. Uh, we're developing all and using all the best practices for hiring as um, overseen by um, Associate Provost um, Nicole Pollard Parsons. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is um, basically working through how, how do we train search committees? How do we form search committees? How, how do we do it differently? Because, you know, as you know, and I know, Rose, if you keep doing what you've always done, you're going to get the results you always had. Mm-hmm. And so we're scouring the nation for the best practices. Uh, regrettably, there, there aren't a tremendous number of success stories out there. As, as I said then, and you know, we could say again today, is uh, even though Georgia State is not where it wants to be and it's not where it's going to be um, as we continue to implement these changes, we're still way ahead of many of the institutions in this country. What do you uh, make of that? Put, Why do you think that is, President Becker? Well, uh, you know, your show's closer look, so let's take a closer look at the data. Now let's go. Uh, 
according to the U.S. Department of Education, 8% of all PhDs in the country are awarded to Blacks or African Americans. Mm -hmm. That's 8%. You know, so as, again, as you, you noted back in February, and again, you know, we're well above that. Uh, if you look at the NS, that, those are the Department of Education data. When you look at the National Science Foundation data, which actually goes down by discipline, in some fields, it's, as, it's less than 3%. And so, you know, we have a serious national problem here and Georgia State wants to be part of the solution, uh, both by best hiring practices, but also preparing the next generation of faculty mm -hmm. by developing talent from our student base and, you know, encouraging them, supporting them, giving them the preparation to go on to graduate school and be that next generation of professors. Because if, for example, in, in the mathematical sciences or the physical sciences or in disciplines like economics, uh, finance, marketing, you know, and we have a, a huge number of um, African-American students in our business school, but you don't see the PhDs coming out to be the faculty in those schools. Mm -hmm. So we got to be part of, we got to be part of that solution. So we need to do the right thing right now in terms of our hiring practices and our recruiting practices, but we also need to set a model for the rest of the country, just as we've done in retention and graduation, uh, but for encouraging and developing that next generation, you know, that's, that, that's how, you know, people like myself, first generation students ended up in the professoriate. It was proactively encouraged by my faculty and we need to be more systematic and um, intentional about how we do that. So being part of cultivating and improving the pipeline is the key is what you're saying? Yes and no. Mm -hmm. It's the, there is no one key, you know, just as you, if you go back and look at our student success work where we've eliminated all disparities in graduation rates based on race, ethnicity or income, and we've had over 500 institutions come and look at us, you know, they'll say, what's the key? And the trick is it's systemic change, you know, so let, let's, let's tie this to the issues of systemic racism. Mm -hmm. There's not going to be one magic bullet change, you know, leveling the playing field so that all students succeed at Georgia State wasn't that we did one thing. It was that we literally looked at the systemically or system-wide, how do students experience Georgia State University? And we literally changed the system from the day we recruit them all through graduation and into the workforce and how we prepare them for the work, you know, actually do it through their job searches, internships, et cetera. And that's really what we, we need to do across higher education, you know, not just at Georgia State, but the entire nation, is we need to think about how are we intentionally operating as institutions, not to recreate the past, but to create the future. You mentioned systemic racism, which brings me to this because just months ago, obviously not far at all from the Georgia State campus, protests like around the nation took place. This after the police killing of George Floyd, and then you couple that with the cell phone footage showing the death of Ahmaud Arbery in the Brunswick area. Uh, President Becker, what do you make of this moment right now in our nation? I think this is a historic moment, a time of call to action. You know, I'm old enough to have, um, you know, being born in the 50s, um, lived through the civil rights movement, or you know, at least the part that I lived through being born in the late 50s. And you know, if I look back at the way the world was when I was um, a child in that era, and I look at where we are today, we made a lot of progress. Um, you know, uh, Congressman Lewis, the late Congressman Lewis, you know, who's lying in state in the gold dome today. Mm -hmm. um, he and I had this conversation some years ago and I, I asked him, I said, you know, when you were on the mall in Washington with Dr. King, at the, you know, the historic moment of the I have a dream speech and you look at where we are today. Are you pleased? Are you disappointed? And, um, you know, or is it what you expected? And he said, no, we've come much farther than he expected. we expected. But, and this is the point, you know, for all of us, but we still haven't come far enough. Okay, so we, we've made a lot of progress from where we were before the civil rights era, but we still have um, in, inequities, disparities that are unacceptable in our society. Um, and it's, it's whether, and in some cases, it, it's things like the SAT or the ACT, which have you know, always been a quote unquote, right of passage into selective higher education institutions. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's one of the decisions we made in 2010, uh, not with fanfare, but it's like to downweight it because the SAT or the ACT are predictors of parental income, zip code, uh, much stronger predictors of parental income and zip code than mm -hmm. they are predictors of students' ability, their talent, and their, and their future academic success. 
Uh, but as a, as a nation within higher ed, we continue to have those. We have continued to you know, be used by institutions, especially our most highly selective institutions. We've got to look at those core issues and, and look at the way we've always done business and ask ourselves: is what we're doing actually serving students and serving the future of this country in terms of creating a fair, equitable playing field? And um, it's, you know, it's hard work. It takes time. Uh, and but it's the work we need to do as a president of a large university a major university you acknowledge systemic racism in our nation and as a president of a university what role can you play in addressing that and you talked about you want Georgia State to be a leader in addressing right. these issues how well, do you exactly. see yourself in this Exactly. So there's, uh, you know, as I look at it from, you know, the role of being the president, one is we, we need to examine ourselves, such as we're examining ourselves around our search processes. Are we doing, the, are we conducting searches just as we've always done them? Are we doing them in a way uh, so that they create a merit, more equitable playing field? Uh, are we being more proactive in our searches? Um, you look at the, um, you know, every search that I've done for a senior level position reporting to me, I have emphasized to the search firms where we've used search firms and search committees or where there's not a search firm that I want to see a diverse applicant pool. I want to actually, you know, not, not just applicants, the people that are going to be interviewed are diverse. You know, so we have um, more people of color in senior positions, more um, African-Americans in senior positions uh, than when I arrived at Georgia State. Uh, I'm proud of that, but again, it's not where I want to be. I want to go further, and we have to continue to be proactive in that space. So we have to look at ourselves, but then we also have to look at, from an education point of view, just as we've changed the rhetoric, we've literally created the dialogue nationally around student success and the kind of systemic changes you need to make to create a level playing field so that race and income are not predictors of student outcomes. Uh, we need to be able to look at how else can we contribute to that conversation, whether it's through our academic programs, uh, whether it's through our um, creating a, a much more robust pipeline for the future professoriate. You know, there's a lot of work to do here. And you know, let me say, I, I'm humble enough to say I don't have all the right ideas. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, doing, I'm doing my part, I'm, doing the be I'm going to do, you know, I'm committed to this work and I have been for uh, my career. Uh, but at the same time, you know, that's why we have, uh, we have a steering committee that was created as, as a result of the Commission on Next Generation Faculty um, as uh, following, um, you know, the um, protest and following the tragic deaths. Uh, we've appointed a task force to make additional recommendations to go beyond, above and beyond what we're already working on. Um, you know, so there, we're, content, we're committed uh, because Georgia State is a university that is important to this country. You know, there, there was a time when Georgia State was called the best kept secret in Atlanta, and it wasn't that long ago. But now everybody in the country that's in higher education knows about Georgia State and knows the Georgia State story. We have their attention. We need to continue to innovate and find ways to create the future. If you're just joining the program, I'm joined by Georgia State University President Dr. Mark Becker. He's responding to concerns about race and diversity issues within the university. President Becker, you mentioned that task force on racial equality. What will this entity? What will this entity be responsible for exactly? So they make recommendations. You know, I think um, you probably saw on Monday. I announced launching the search for the vice president mm -hmm. for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, you know, this is a, the previous commission had considered that and decided not to recommend it and sort of came out with the, at least the way it was told to me was, well, this is everybody's responsibility. But I think now we realize in this moment, we need a vice president um, in the president's cabinet who wakes up in the morning and goes bed to bed at night around these very issues, whether it's you know supporting students and the pipeline, whether it's faculty recruiting, whether it's looking at the systems that we have in Georgia State and do we need to make change, you know, all the sorts of things. And so, uh, you know, that's one of the pieces that we've created that the task force is not an operational group. It will make recommendations mm -hmm. that then uh, the vice president, our, our steering committee on the next generation of faculty, et cetera, will take those and work with them. And then the other part, you know, we've announced is, you know, we're, we're committed to, we've done town halls before mm -hmm. um, to dialogue, you know, and so this is not going to be, it's not going to just sit on a shelf and, and go into thin air. In the letter from the Collective of Black Faculty, they call upon the university to end its police exchange program partnership with international law enforcement agencies. First, for our listeners who may not be aware of this partnership, President Becker, exactly what is it? 
uh, with programs called Gilly, and it's in our Department of Criminal Justice. Mm -hmm. And it's an exchange where law enforcement from the US, primarily from Georgia, um, go abroad to learn you know, about policing practices. A lot of it's been around terrorism and prevention of terrorism has nothing to do with the sorts of issues that are raised in that letter. Um, and it's also brought police officers from other countries here. And anybody who wants to know about it can go. They, they have a web page on the Georgia State University website. Uh, just um, search on Gilly, G-I-L-L, uh, Georgia International Law Enforcement Exchange, G-I-L-E-E, -E, um, and you'll find it. And you'll see there is that uh, it, it's, uh, a international cooperation, which is a lot of what we do in higher education is a lot of international cooperations. We have international cooperations all over the planet in a variety of areas of academic programming, uh, whether it's in the arts and the humanities or whether it's in the sciences. And Gilly is part of the criminal justice program. And um, it's, um, you know, it, it is a activity that you can learn all you want to about it at the website. Again, you're saying that this partnership and with the the exchange with the international law enforcement, are you saying that they're mostly going after terrorists, but are you absolutely sure that they are not in violation of any other human rights or committing human rights violations, even if it's not on this soil, but somewhere else? I mean, that seems to be the concerns of the black faculty here. To connect Gilly to the um, police violence issues that have been raised or to any others is a stretch. Uh, they're, they're, you know, let's uh, just be honest here. One of one of Gilly's partners is with the Nation of Israel. Um, some people would like to see it abolished because they're anti-Israel. Um, you know, that's just that's just a fact. There have been times in the past where allegations have been made that Gilly could be tied to this event or that event. Um, and so I asked for evidence, and nobody's ever produced any evidence. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and so the one of the things that we need to be very very careful of in this time is that we not all of a sudden go around and say, well, you know, these parts of the academic program are acceptable and, and others aren't. You know, in my um, now 20 year career between being a dean, a provost and a president, uh, I've had elected officials over the, those 20 years call me and say, you know, you need to get rid of this book in the history department. You got to silence this professor because, you know, they're being critical of the government. I've had um, companies say, well, you know, we're not going to support you if you let that professor write through that research that, you know, um, does something uh, suggests that their products may not be healthy or they may even be harmful. Um, I'm not in the I'm not in the business and it's not my responsibility to censor. Uh, the faculty. It's not my responsibility to go around and um, create or close down these programs. Uh, you know, Gilly, like um, all of our programs, are legitimate academic programs. Uh, and Gilly, um, you know, has a lot of fundraising success. Again, if you go look at the website, you can see the endorsements there. You can see the partnerships and the collaborations. Um, and, you know, so I think, you know, what's in that letter relating to Gilly is at best a stretch. This is a partnership that you view as being crucial to the university. Before we move on, I just want to make sure I'm clear and understanding. Well, what, what do you mean by crucial, Rose? Let's, let's be specific, because there's, there's, the university has a lot of programs. What's, what, what's the definition of crucial? Well, if this is a program that's a partnership with law enforcement agencies, and you and I both know, whether it's here domestically or internationally, the issues that people have with some law enforcement agencies. Well, I think... Because you know, through the lens of the black collective they feel that it's it's harmful now you just gave a very detailed description of it i just want to be clear for our listeners that you believe that this is a program a partnership that is important or crucial for the university just getting some clarity it is, it is absolutely consistent with our mission as a public institution okay uh, georgia state university is a public institution has a criminal justice program um, and that criminal justice program trains a lot of people in law enforcement and has productive academic collaborations and professional collaborations, just like we do in public health and business and science and everywhere else. And there's uh, there's no evidence to support that it is promoting violence against black people or any other minorities or that is promoting violence in general. Uh, you plan to meet with these representatives. You did respond uh, pretty quickly to the initial letter. What do you hope comes out of this meeting? Obviously, you all aren't, may not be able to get everything solved, but what are you hoping comes out of this meeting? Well, I need I need to listen and hear. You know, for example, they they may have more to say on any of the issues that we've already um, exchanged about in email. 
um, et cetera. So it's, you know, a lot is for me is to listen and to learn, uh, to uh, get a deeper understanding of the issues. And also at this point, also to get a response to the steps and the actions we've taken. Meaning, mm-hmm. you know, since that letter was written, uh, you know, and I think Professor West on your um, show on Monday, you know, alluded to uh, the creation of the um, Center for Studies on African Diaspora as a positive step forward. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was something that was well in the works before uh, the protests and the unrest. Um, you know, the timing of the, of the announcement came afterwards, but the actually the funding, I allocated the funding for that back actually probably about the time that you and I met back in February. Uh, but you know, again, in universities, it takes time to, towards to get things set up to get the systems in place. Um, you know, the creation of the um, vice president for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, you know, another issue is you know the recognition of um, the three women who the groundbreakers that we've celebrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, rec- you know, the, their recognition. You know, I've personally endowed a scholarship for that, and we've already cre- created a code so that if others want to join me in supporting and honoring these individuals, um, so that students, you know, who embody uh, the commitment to social justice that they had. Um, have that opportunity at scholarships. Uh, that's real important. And you know, I decided to do that personally because I cannot use tuition dollars and I cannot use state dollars as a public institution mm-hmm. for scholarships. And rather than spending time saying, well, I got to go raise money, I figured I'll put my money on the table to get it started. And then, you know, if others want to join me, they're welcome to. Yes. And those three women, Mary Payne Elliott, Barbara Pace Hunt, and Iris May Welch, uh, are the three women who sued uh, to desegregate uh, Georgia State University back in 1956, I believe it was. Uh, and finally, President... And, and they won. Not only did they sue, but they yeah. won. The, the problem was that the, <laughs> the Georgia Georgia ignored the federal ruling, but, you know... Uh, yeah, but, it, you know, it, you know um, <laughs> Professor Maurice Daniels, you know, who wrote the book yeah. and delivered the lecture, you know, I, I think, you know, certainly in conversations with me, it, it, it's true that that was not the landmark that in a sense flipped the world, mm-hmm. uh, but it was a crucial decision that then was led to future decisions, you know? And so that that's that's one of the hard parts is, you know, when, when we get to a time um, as, uh, you know, emotional and intense as this moment in time, you know, everybody wants action immediately. And then and that lawsuit just is, is, is a fine example is uh, sometimes the, the change comes in steps. It doesn't always come in just one, you know, fell swoop. Uh, but that lawsuit was absolutely critical. And, you know, it's, you think about that, that was 1956. Mm-hmm. Georgia State was a segregated institution. Mm-hmm. You know, 64 years later, graduates more African-Americans than anybody in the country, one of the most diverse universities. So, you know, we are indebted to them for their leadership and their courage and their commitment. Yeah, and hopefully it won't take another 64 years and other folks will be having the same conversation. Let me ask you this. Well, you, uh, you and I both hope it won't, absolutely. <laughs> Finally, President Becker, Listen, you and so many other institutions of higher learning, y'all have to, you all are right now deciding how to start the fall semester with online instruction. And I know as a member of the University System of Georgia, each school has its own plan. Classes start August 24th. How different will GSU be because of COVID-19? Well, let's start off with, um, you know, the, the, there will be three modes of instruction. Um, some courses are purely online. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases, that's to accommodate student demand, which is has been substantial. Um, in other cases, it's to accommodate professors who, because of underlying health conditions or uh, other factors, uh, can't go into the classroom because they, they would be at increased risk that if they were to become uh, infected with COVID, the likelihood of a severe of a bad outcome or severe outcome is is higher than much higher than, uh, say, in the student population. So there will be some online. The next piece will be hybrid. Uh, we have to de-densify the campus. We, we can't just open up like we did last fall. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the hybrid environment, uh, when student, you know, if for a particular course, let's say, let's say there's 100, there's 100 students, part of the curriculum will be delivered online, part will be face-to-face, but they won't all come to the classroom at the same time uh, because what we have to do, and it, you know, it's consistent with the USG guidelines, uh, which are that everybody needs to wear a mask. Every single student needs to wear a mask. Uh, we need six feet social distancing. So we, you know, our normal classrooms don't, you know, we're sitting shoulder to shoulder, elbow to elbow usually. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to spread out the students in terms of who comes on which days. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's going to be a level of extra level of complexity. Um, and then no large gatherings. I mean, the state of Georgia um, has, has a ban on large gatherings or a limit on large gatherings. Uh, the CDC guidance on large gatherings, you know, everybody, um, you know, I was driving down 
down the connector just Monday morning and there was, you know, those electronic billboards mm -hmm. says, you know, gr no groups more than 10, you know, so that's, um, that's, that's a very different place than where the university usually is, as you know, yeah. and, 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 you know, universities have been designed intentionally uh, to the extent possible to increase human interaction, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, so our, our, our struggle for the fall is, um, you know, we are absolutely committed to doing everything we can reasonably do to make the environment as safe as possible. At the same time that the students, you know, in the majority, um, if they don't have health concerns, you know, they would like to see it be as normal as possible. Mm -hmm. And uh, regrettably for all of us, um, that's not going to be the way it is. That's just not possible. So uh, there, you know, for some of the labs, some of the um, like health sciences where you've got to be hands-on, uh, that'll be purely face-to-face, -face. but it's going to be a mix. But again, you know, the, the, the success of this is going to depend on everybody doing their part. This is one of those things where if we don't all do our part, wearing masks, six, at least six feet social distancing, no large gatherings, in addition to washing hands and you know, other things uh, that from a hygiene perspective, if we don't all do our part, this is not going to go away. It's going to be, it's going to continue to percolate. I was on a call last week with um, Dr. Redfield, the director of um, CDC. CDC. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and he made that point. He said, if we all basically wore our masks, six feet social distancing, no large gatherings, we could knock this thing down, being this pandemic in terms of where it is in the country and certainly here in Georgia, um, down in eight to 12 weeks. And, and it would be and keep it down so that, you know, the rate that the spread of the infection would be uh, much, much slower and many fewer people getting infected, therefore many fewer people getting sick and, and fewer people mm -hmm. dying. The reality is if only half of us do that, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, those particular type of preventive measures, we need everybody to do their part. You know, students, faculty, staff, and, and the general community, because, you know, as you know, we're a porous community. People come in and out. Yeah. I was just about to say, President Becker, given that you all are not an enclosed campus per se, and you all in the heart of downtown, how concerning is it for you? Because you, you can't control other folks behavior, human behavior, you're asking everyone to wear a mask and wash your hands and, and be mindful of, of when you sneeze or when you cough, but you all are an open campus, so I imagine you do have some some extra concerns. Well, I've got a lot of concerns, yeah. It's, it'd be safe to say, you know, I'm working harder than I've ever worked in my life. It's from the time I get up to the time I go to sleep, and if I wake up in the middle of the night, uh, you know, it would be... The, the positive is, you know, we've got a lot of great people, our department chairs, our deans working with our faculty are, you know, doing just a terrific job. And, you know, we've asked them to change multiple times. And that's, you know, that's that, that's a challenge. And so everybody's carrying an extra workload right now mm. and continue to monitor you know, data, continue to monitor the best science, continue to monitor all the guidance. Um, coming out of the government, you know, CDC, Georgia Department of Public Health. Uh, you know, the, the only thing that is certain, and I've said this many times, the only thing that is certain about the future is that it's not certain. Mm -hmm. We're going to be dealing with a lot of uncertainty uh, for the foreseeable future. And e even in a vaccine world where we get a vaccine that is safe, efficacious, and durable, meaning that it actually lasts more than a few months, uh, in that world, we're probably not going to get there till next summer. Uh, so th this is going to be a long slog. And, and what, what I'm most concerned about, quite frankly, Rose, is stress. It's uh, I think what we're seeing is everybody's angry. Uh, nobody's happy with this. The other side of it is, is the virus is not going to relent because people are angry. Or Absolutely. People are yeah. you know, so we're, we're going to do the best we can. And we're going to try to, you know, we're, we're committed to pro providing the highest quality educational experience we possibly can for our students at the same time that we do everything we can to promote health and safety. August 24th, will you, of course, wearing your mask, will you walk around the campus? Will you just kind of get a view of what's happening? And if you don't like what you see, you're going <laughs> to send out some emails, make some calls? Uh, I, I can't actually tell you what I'm going to do August 24th right now. I'm not even August 1st. And, you know, I, I think, you know, what, what we've learned um, since the middle of March when we um, suspended classes for two weeks to pivot to remote learning. And, and I should be clear, the online learning we're doing this fall, we've had thousands, more than 2,000 faculty have gone through a rigorous training program education program how to teach online which is not where we were last march and mm -hmm. it's and so what we're going to be able to deliver online is going to be very different so to go back to you know we we, we a lot has happened what, what is the general flow of any day or any week is what you think you're going to do in the morning 
changes in the afternoon. And so it's, again, it's, it's uncertainty. Uh, August 24th is way too far out for me to tell you what I'm doing on August 24th. Right now, you know, just one day at a time, one week at a time, planning again to provide the highest quality educational experience with a um, safe environment and you know, have the resources in place to um, support our faculty and staff as they support our students. And then the final question, you mentioned the late Congressman John Lewis, his funeral services will be this week. Um, through your own reflection, what has he meant to this nation? Well, John Lewis is a uh, national hero. Um, he's, he's an icon. Uh, you know, the, one of the privileges of my position, uh, partly because Georgia State's downtown campus is in the congressman's district. In fact, his Atlanta office uh, literally sits right across the street from our Adderhold Center on our, our campus, his office right there on Peachtree Street. You know, I, I've had the good pleasure of, of spending time with him in that office, in his office in the nation's capital, as well as in meeting rooms where he came out of um, hearings he was in uh, to uh, meet with me about you know Georgia State's issues. Um, you know, so for me, it's 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 not only our nation; it's, it's deeply personal. Uh, John John Lewis, uh, in my way of saying it, is the gentlest, strongest person I ever met. Being in his presence. Uh, was being next to somebody who uh, was on a different plane than just about any other human being I've ever met. His, his, his humanity, his gentleness, his commitment to nonviolence, at the same time, his strength, his steadfastness, his commitment and unwavering uh, work to make this nation better by creating a more fair, equitable and just society is what John Lewis meant to me. Um, I cried the day when I saw, saw when I saw the message that um, he had passed uh, because he, he meant a lot to me also, not only as a national leader, but as somebody that I had the good fortune to get to know um, and work with, you know, in terms of, he was, a, he was a tireless advocate for Georgia State. I'll tell you that right off the top. Um, anytime that we had an issue where uh, we were looking for um, support, you know, in Washington, um, the congressman was always there for us and um, miss him dearly. Georgia State University President Dr. Mark Becker. Good to speak with you again. Thank you for taking the time answering the questions. As always, I really appreciate it. Rose, always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. That's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Shelley Canavy. If you missed any of the day's program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 8 p.m. And listen whenever you want, because Closer Look is now available as a podcast. Just visit NPR One or your favorite streaming app and subscribe. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.